1: to earth station trek a show where we trek from the early days on nbc to the future on paramount plus and everywhere in between i'm charles kelso and it's my privilege to introduce the earth station trek crew keith johnson
2: how's it going folks
1: alan seiler i'm back and veronica (laughs) dashel
3: hi welcome back alan (laughs) thank you thank you my mission was successful awesome (laughs) excellent
2: Alan, um, I will say I liked the week. The first week, when you, the first time when you weren't here, and Charles read your thoughts. That well, those were good, deep thoughts.
0: Yeah, cool.
2: <laughs> all right,
1: <laughs> all right. Well, so we're gonna start off this week with some this Week in track. Yeah, just
2: got a couple because we got a busy show tonight. I don't want to take too much time, but there was a couple of things that I wanted to mention for um now one thing i mentioned to the guys last two weeks it was pretty much everybody who died so i'm going to try not to do any well heck i think i got one death. um so try to do happy news for the holiday season this one there is no way to even there's no way to even try to imitate this without you guys guess guessing it but this is somebody who was born on december 26 1903 wow in the year the airplane was first flown <laughs> by the Wright brothers. And there's there's literally no other way to say this. So I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, what's the matter? Don't you like books? Hey. Wow. Oh, I know <laughs> that is. Yeah. Hey, I yes. get that reference. Yeah, it's Elijah Cook Jr. <laughs> All
3: three of us get it this time. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Elijah Cook Jr. This guy, uh, like as, as anybody who's been around, this guy was just in everything. Of course, for us, he was... He was Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law, in the Star Trek episode, Court Martial. And the line that I actually love in that episode is after he introduced himself to Kirk. Kirk says, you're either an obsessive crackpot who's escaped from his keeper or Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law. And then he says, you're right on both counts. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love
2: that episode. I don't know how good of a lawyer he does, though. He pretty much doesn't ask any questions in that entire trial. Until Spock runs in with the solution, and then he gives us impassioned speech. So I don't know if I won him as a lawyer, but he he's won. Quite a I mean, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't, if he doesn't
3: have to ask questions, he he's not going to
2: ask questions. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he was a great character actor. The guy was in everything: Maltese Falcon, Shane, The Killing, The Big Sleep, House on Haunted Hill, Rosemary Baby, and on and mm-hmm. on and on and on. Just one of the most memorable in Star Trek history. Just love him as a character. Uh, moving on real quickly, December 27th, 1973, and I cannot do an impersonation because I don't have a good one, but that was the birth date of one born as Wilson Echeverria, a.k.a. Wilson Cruz, 1973. Awesome. Wilson- Yay, yeah, Wilson Cruz. Dr. Kohler on um, Discovery, who yeah. we've been talking about the last couple of weeks now, and we're liking him more and more every week as he's becoming uh, ship's counselor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And- giving him more to do when we really like his presence and his calm and his strength i think that's a great great role for him in addition to being a medical doctor yeah absolutely yeah so happy birthday to mr cruz i december 28th we, we talked about but this is a big one of course that's 1932 it was the birthday of michelle nichols and i literally yeah. borrowed yeah i literally borrowed that line from marvel comics enough said I mean, <laughs> what do I need to say about Michelle Nichols? We
0: had a whole episode on that. Yeah,
2: sure did. yeah, yeah. Absolute pioneer. Unfortunately, she's having some kind of rough times in her life now, dealing with. I know was it was a dementia, right? Mm-hmm. She was diagnosed with dementia, and there's continuing to be all kinds of guardianship battles with her family and keeper and stuff like that. And I just hope things settle down for her because she's been so inspirational to so many people. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating, and. One last one that I did want to mention on December 30th, 1932, also, was the birthday of one John D.F. Black. Nice. Which Charles, you may recognize. Yeah, I
1: know who John D.F. Black is.
2: Yeah. Veronica, any idea?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably say the character's name. I'll be like, okay.
1: Yeah, he wasn't an actor.
2: So. Yeah, not an actor. He See, was even
0: I really won't know it.
2: No, he was one of those background things. And one of these days, we could do a show just on all the people not named Roddenberry who made Star Trek what it was in the origins. He was actually one of the. He was an executive story consultant and associate producer. He basically is one of those people who laid the skin on the skeleton of Star Trek that Gene Roddenberry created um he has one major writing credit he wrote the naked time naked time oh my god <laughs> i cannot believe you did it again that's so hey, funny that's a Texan, that's a Texan accent there <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the naked naked time <laughs> which is <laughs> it got me every time alan naked time i love naked it naked time One of the best. He also, unfortunately, wrote well, wrote the outlines of the Naked Now, which is the TNG copy, which is not a good episode.
3: (laughs) Oh, it's not that bad.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Good point. (laughs) It's funny. And then he wrote a show, uh, one that's it's so bad. It's funny. He wrote Justice Mm. for those who may not remember it's the episode where they go down to a planet where. Every week, the law changes. If you do the slightest infraction, you get killed, and Wesley gets killed because he crushed the flower garden. Um, and it's one where basically, it's basically where all the half naked people run around <laughs> in this show. Yeah. Um, now, with
1: the early next gen episodes, though, there was so much rewriting going on that I'm not going to say that against John D.F.
2: Black. Well, are actually, you're right, Charles. One, two real quick things. Another thing that people probably don't know, and Veronica, this is a big one, is the opening of Star Trek. Space, The Final Frontier, that opening speech by Shatner is more attributed to John Black and Robert Justman. Mm-hmm. The original mm-hmm. the original thing which you guys may have seen, I just heard it recently. It is amazing. The original one that they had written for Shatner, it's nothing like this one at all. Yeah. And it was really Black and Justman that were more responsible for the famous Space, The Final Frontier and so forth. And one thing in looking up Black, I saw, and this is kind of constant with a lot of people, is he couldn't stand Roddenberry Mm. after a while. One thing you hear constantly about Roddenberry is that he was always rewriting people's stuff, which is one thing. But he was always rewriting people's stuff. And then they said taking credit for it. And Black, he frankly despised Roddenberry so much that he left the show. They coaxed him back to The Next Generation for about a year or two. He did the whole thing with The Naked Now and Justice. And then he's like, and then he criticized rottenberry so much for rottenberry's rewrites of, of uh, the naked now and justice that rottenberry kicked him off the show and told him not to come back but, yeah but his contributions are still immoral and that's this week in
1: trick awesome thanks for that nice you bet yeah then we'll go ahead and take a quick break and promote a fellow eso network podcast show and then when we come back we're going to be talking about shatner in space so stay right there
3: Hello there. I can see you have great taste in podcasts. Keep your discerning streak going with the Soul Forge podcast. No topic is off limits on the Soul Forge. We talk about life, toys, dating, geekiness, love, nerdiness, sex and dating, TV, movies, and just about anything you can think of. Check out the Soul Forge podcast, soulforgepodcast.com
2: and wherever you find your podcasts. We're everywhere.
1: Okay, so this week we're talking about the new Amazon Prime documentary, Shatner in Space, that's chronicling William Shatner's journey into outer space. And I know Keith, you had a lot of thoughts about this.
2: <laughs> yeah. I uh I was a little cynical when I first started. Not not that I had a problem with it, but it started off with Shatner in space and it was showing Shatner, it was showing Jeff Bezos. And I thought, oh man, this is an Amazon commercial. It's a, yeah. you know, it's, a it's a product thing for Jeff Bezos. <laughs> there was, was a lot of cool. that. every everything is yes. an Amazon commercial. <laughs> yes. But I tell you, probably gosh, five minutes into it, it got me. And it got me because one of the things I do like it. I think there's a truth that no matter when somebody is famous and somebody is rich and somebody is powerful, they're always going to have detractors. And that's whether it's an actor like Shatner or a multi-billionaire like Jeff Bezos. But what I love was the fact that they go back and they show you that Jeff Bezos, when he was a teenager, people had things like there was a little article that said, this kid wants to go into space. This man had cardboard Star Trek toys that his mom made for him. So yeah. whatever one may think of him, this man loves space. He has great imagination. And Star Trek is one of the things that absolutely set him on the course that he has set on in life. I thought that was amazing. And the other thing for me personally, and we've talked about this a whole lot, to indulge me real quickly, people talk a lot about who is the essence of Star Trek. I hear more and more as time goes on that Mr. Spock is the symbol of Star Trek. And that seems to be the consensus, especially among younger people. I have felt and I will always feel that Kirk is the essence of Star Trek. Because while Spock is like the life that we seek, Kirk represents the human spirit and the humans going out in the space, becoming better. And so many times people talk about Shatner being arrogant and there's all the stuff with George Takai and stuff like that. But what I thought was really interesting in this show. And I didn't expect is I saw William Shatner, who was introspective. I saw a simple joy in him. I saw a philosophical bit and I kind of wasn't expecting that. It was just the 90 year old man who'd never been in the space who really was like, I want to be wild by the wonder. And that got me. Um, that's why I really loved watching that episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and when it was announced that Shatner was going into space, I mean, there's two ways it could have gone the way it went. But also, he could have mm-hmm. come back and been doing, you know, Red Bull commercials in a rocket ship. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> Shat- Shatner's I- not one to turn down a paycheck, you know? no. But yeah, I, I thought that he was great. Through, even from when we watched it originally, when it happened, mm-hmm. it was a clear difference between his reaction and the reaction of the others who were on the younger people who were with him yes. who were more mm-hmm. woohoo. And here we go. And, you know, he seemed to be profoundly moved by the experience. And I thought they mm-hmm. did a good job of, I like seeing more of the context of that in this. And I, I was a kid that made a lot of cardboard toys when I was a kid. I mean, at one point <laughs> I had cardboard Spock ears that I would tape to my head. <laughs> you know, like I, I, so that, that did get me too. when Jeff Bezos broke out his old cardboard <laughs> tricorder and things.
3: Did, did your mother keep your cardboard ears?
1: No, no chance. No. She <laughs> didn't keep my real toys. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> what did you think about Veronica? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, after everything you hear about Bezos, Um, actually getting to see him and see his, his journey, um, definitely put him in a different, different light, uh, because all the times they're just like, oh, this, this guy runs Amazon and he created Amazon and he's the bad guy and he doesn't Mm. want to do anything, but no, he he wants to do everything. Then that's why, (laughs) Yeah, that's why he does, he does what he does so he can do everything.
1: Yeah. There is still a lot to criticize about Bezos. Mm -hmm. I will say that alan you're quiet
3: Uh, i i really enjoyed it It, uh, for all the reasons that everyone else is saying um i don't want to be i don't want to be the voice of criticism but Mm. and this isn't and this is not a criticism it's just a a a weird editing choice that i noticed in the documentary itself Uh, they showed a lot of uh scenes of captain kirk you know from the original series and from the movies but Did you notice that they snuck in like a couple of really quick clips from the 2009 movie? The 2009 movie, yeah. Like <laughs> like his ship and his like somebody's hand d- pulling a control. That was so I strange.
2: Know, I noticed that too, and I didn't yeah. know why. I actually made that. And I know like, why. Is they don't Chris know the Fine? difference.
3: Maybe. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's, yeah. That's very true. When when people put those things together, they really really don't know.
3: Right. Oh yeah,
1: right.
0: Mm-hmm. So they don't yeah. they don't know what they're doing.
1: Right. <laughs> Right. I was impressed, though, that they not only included Star Trek clips, but also from Outer Limits. From Cold Hand yeah, 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 yeah.
3: And Twilight yes. Zone. And Twilight Zone? Is- I, I enjoyed that. It showed yeah. like a longer legacy of his with yeah. this sort of subject matter. Which right. I thought was really, really cool.
2: Yeah. It also sort of reminded me. And there's there's so many people now who, tra- who track fans who have never seen the original series. And I watch it a lot. When you see those pics, it also reminds me of you know frankly how incredibly handsome Shatner was. He was a handsome, dashing Captain uh, Kirk, and actor. Yeah. yeah, And man, I mean, talk yeah. about iconic. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> boy, did he just he just fill that role. And it was funny. I was thinking probably the only captain, male captain, the only male captain I think who holds that kind of presence now, close to the way Shatner was, is probably going to be Anson mm-hmm. as uh, Captain Pike. He's also agreed. Just a good-looking guy whose presence just – and Jeffrey Hunter, I think, had it too, but he was more low-key of an actor than uh, Shatner was.
3: Now, if you're talking looks, I'll give it to you. If you're talking presence, that's a whole different matter, and you can't do that without talking about Avery Brooks.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) True. Oh! Oh! (laughs) Yeah,
3: but but that's a bit off topic, so yeah,
2: we we just got another show topic. (laughs) And I love the one guy, was that guy an investor? The young guy, not I started to say the young, the muscular guy, but then that's Bezos. There was another younger guy who was muscular, was he the investor? He had the little Lego thing with him. Mm. That
3: one uh, of the astronauts,
2: yeah, he's one of the astronauts. He had the little Lego toy, he carried it with him. I thought it was just so cool to think back that all these people. We're just kids. One point goofing around with Lego toys and dreaming about going into space and now doing everything they can to make that a reality.
3: What's funny is Shatner is 100 percent aware of his position Mm. because he said at one point every person around this project was inspired by. Well, he said him, but by Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, and you know, that's true. That you know that at some point those people all knew about Star Trek or watched Star Trek, you know, or something similar, and that's what inspired them and and made them excited to go into that field. And mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's super cool.
1: Yeah. He also seemed very aware of the fact that he's a ninety-year-old man. Yes. Getting yeah. Getting into a rocket, you know, he seemed <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and the scene with him telling his family was pretty touching. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, and they, mean, they're apprehensive too. Like. Yes. You know, my 90 year old dad, he's going to climb into a
3: rocket. Is this a good idea? The
2: looks <laughs> I, on I, their faces. I,
3: I know. He was like, um, I just I have something I want to tell you. I'm going to be going into space. And they all just sat there, like, "What the <laughs> f are you talking about now?"
1: <laughs> so, do you think they're like hey, a lot uh-oh.
3: of crazy stuff there, man? But <laughs> oh, dad, dad's finally gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's beaming up. We gotta call somebody.
2: <laughs> and I, I like to see humanity in people who play larger-than-life heroes because one of his daughters said, "Are you scared?" And he said, "Yes." Oh, yeah. And yeah. I thought that was amazing to say that, and and you could tell, like. Um, When they had the delays, when they talked about the fact they were going to have delays, and then the one day they had a one day delay, and he and that Shatner goes, "Are you effing kidding me?" And (laughs) (laughs) I know that look on his face. It was it was the look of I really want to do it, but it was also the look of the apprehension of look I've skilled myself to do this thing I'm afraid of, and now you got to delay it, and I got to get myself ready for it again. And I I love that on his face.
3: I I like the analogy of Mm -hmm. the barnstormer. Yeah, uh, This is the equivalent, yeah. and, and that was something that I really didn't know a whole lot about, that mm-hmm. in the biplane era, mm-hmm. people would you know, basically buy a seat on one of these planes, and you would go up and you would see things from a perspective that you never saw before, yeah. and this is a direct correlation to doing that same thing, taking civilians up into the very upper stratosphere, And and beyond and into weightlessness and giving you the uh, opportunity to experience that kind of thing that a civilian normally would not get to do. That's so cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And over time, I mean, right now it's millionaires and investors and people who work and who are celebrities. But I mean, over time, that stuff's going to become less expensive where regular people can take these kind of trips.
3: And I think that what we should do is we should celebrate our 1,000th episode of our podcast by taking that trip and recording live as we do it.
2: Yes. <laughs> there Deal. you go. How, do you, how
3: about that? <laughs> it gives us time to start saving.
2: Yep. Exactly. <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> gives them time yeah. for the prices to come down a little bit. Right.
2: <laughs> along with what you said, Alan, I like that Jeff Bezos talked about when he talked about the Barnstormers. He said way back then, no one can imagine the planes that we have today. And therefore, yeah. for the future, we have divide- we have vehicles that no one can imagine in the future. One yeah. of my favorite science fiction shows from the late 60s was a show called Land of the Giants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Land of the Giants was that was basically a hypersonic passenger vehicle that they mm-hmm. were on. It goes into another dimension. And I look forward to something like that one day where we can hit it up the Mach 5, go up into mm-hmm. suborbit, get to Europe in like an hour or something like that. Yeah. So I love it when they talk about stuff like that. One other thing I, that y'all noticed, and I think you were mentioning uh, Charles, how um, other people are a little bit more outgoing. It was interesting, as I thought, ninety-year-old guy Shatner. When they were getting ready to go, he asked everybody what they were doing. People were sending text messages and recording things, and Shatner was just sitting there, chilling and yep. thinking. And he even asked him, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" They're like, "We're sending messages, we're sending messages," and he's just there, <laughs> and I kind of wonder, you know, sometimes they talk about in our day of, of cell phones where sometimes people are so busy recording events and commenting on events, they don't, they don't experience the events. And Shatner was quiet the whole time. He didn't record anything, didn't have any phone. He was just looking out the window and you could tell he was really getting into that experience. And I thought that was an interesting contrast with the other folks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was also really impressed and I, I should have written down her name, but I didn't. Uh, but the the, the lady who works for um, Blue Origin mm-hmm. who's also she's always wanted to be an astronaut. She worked for NASA. and
2: Yeah. Now
1: she's had her chance to go up. And that's I, th- I thought she was pretty inspiring as
2: well. Me too. I thought so as well. Um, one thing that Shatner said, because I, I was I was really impressed by how, again, how philosophical he mm-hmm. was. And he said when he got back, he said, I hope I never recover from this. Mm hmm. And I love that line. Like, I hope we never. I hope I don't forget. I hope we all don't forget what it feels like, you know, that wonder. And before he went up, he said something I thought was amazing, too. He said, when he was talking to Bezos, he said something to the effect of, I don't expect or want to find all the answers. I just want to see the mysteries. And I just thought that was pretty deep stuff. Not stuff that I think he practiced. I think that's how he honestly felt. And that was really cool to see that. Yeah.
3: I think it's really neat that in the past year that we've been doing this show, Mm
2: -hmm. that
3: we have gotten to, uh, you know, kind of break away from our Star Trek framework ever so slightly by doing, talking about new documentaries, first about Nichelle Nichols and her role in the space program, and then Shatner having this experience of actually going into space. And I think that is so cool that we've gotten to cover both of those things from two really remarkable people
2: yeah, yeah. absolutely agree
3: and i think also that everyone who hasn't heard it should go back and listen to our nichelle nichols <laughs> uh, episode because it was great <laughs> yeah. so that, that was that was a fun one yeah
1: i th- I thought this documentary was was good too you're right you're right that it's had elements of being an amazon commercial mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> pr thing for bezos but i think they also uh, i thought they represented shatner really well and i thought it was mm-hmm. um it's inspiring to watch and it's um, you know, it's the kind of thing that makes you dream a little bit. You know, seeing mm-hmm. a, an old space hero from when you are a kid going into
3: space for real. You know, yeah. Well, you know, there was uh, Bezos's line about how um, dreams are are made. I don't remember the exact quote. Dreams are made by, or, or progress is made by the dreamers and the builders. And yes. you have the people who who dream the ideas, and then you have the people that build the ideas, and And it's really cool to see both of those things in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it.
2: Yeah.
3: I I want to go back really quickly to talking about the the whole biplane thing. My grandmother was born in 1901. Mm -hmm. She was born before the Wright brothers got off the ground and she lived, you know, up through the space shuttle program, moon landings you know, cell phones and all this. I mean, just think of the amount of technological evolution that has been experienced in that one lifetime. Right. I mean, that's just remarkable to the point where now we have, you know, basically civilian commercial rockets that are doing the same thing that people did, you know, nearly 100 years ago on a biplane. That's just Mm -hmm. unbelievable. That's amazing. Yeah, it absolutely is.
0: One thing I I I've noticed that. that like the uh, 20th century that um, seemed to have, and I, I know we're not too terribly far into the 21st century, but uh, there seemed to be a lot more progress between the beginning of the 20th century and, and 1924 and then 2000 to now. There mm. seemed to be a lot more technological progress.
2: Mm. Yes. If so I'm wondering back, if it's
0: going to be slowing down because there wasn't, a whole ton of technological progress prior to that. And it was just that, like this giant boom of like a yes. hundred years and mm-hmm. have and we haven't really had any kind of forward much forward movement in the last 20, 30 years. I mean, we've mm-hmm. had a little bit and there's some big some big things, but not like
1: well, a lot of it is small World things changing. like com- computers mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, the, the fact that they're able to land these rockets, which I never get tired of watching them land, yes. the freaking Let me tell you, oh, yes. that is just one
3: of the most remarkable things to watch. It but really you couldn't is. have put a
1: computer to do that on a rocket uh-uh. 30 years ago. So I mean, they're right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, we're not at Mars yet like all the old sci-fi shows told me we would be, <laughs> but <laughs> we
3: are on we're on our way. It's not, it, it won't be long, I don't think. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Veronica, I think your your point is well taken. And I think as Charles is saying what happened is and and there's there's still an unfortunate truth behind that is a huge portion of the space program in this on this planet has been driven by political and military Mm -hmm. uh, gain and sometimes economic gain. And when the Cold War stopped, we lost some of our impetus for getting in the space. It's more commercialization now with satellites and stuff like that. And also, as Charles is mentioning now, it's we're much more of an information technology, mm-hmm. and I wish we would get back to that, because I'm like mm-hmm. you, Charles, when I was a kid, I had a poster in my bedroom. I'll never forget. It was one of those awesome lunar colonies with a big glass dome on it. <laughs> I had the 2001 rotating space shuttle, I mean, mm-hmm. space station, and yeah. I just knew we were going to be there, and I yep. didn't have so I'm frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: and what, what's really interesting is that we're watching this documentary the same week that the James Webb Space Telescope has been launched mm-hmm. yes. and it's you know it's going to take a couple of weeks for it to fully unfurl its you mm-hmm. know big massive array and everything just think of all the new discoveries and the new stuff we're going to learn when that thing is deployed and activated holy moses it's going to be incredible absolutely yeah. Yeah. so you know that might be you know as much as hubble was a huge step forward in our understanding of you know our neighboring universe this is going to be another step beyond that and i'm i'm really excited to see what develops from it
2: me too yeah, yeah. i did like what jeff basil said he it was seemed like a really genuine moment and i love when he said and i'm gonna to have to paraphrase but he basically said growing up captain kirk was his hero but now william shatner the man was his hero mm-hmm. and he actually yeah. choked up when he said that i thought that was a perfect coda for that show for him
0: yeah
1: yeah All right, so we're going to take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the mid-season finale of Star Trek Discovery. So stay right there.
0: Hello, I am the monster of the Monster Sci-Fi Show. You may be confused, but I am the superior version of the monster and not just some variant. Much like me, this podcast is burdened with glorious purpose. I'm here to say this podcast delivers timely sci-fi and pop culture news plus movie and TV commentary reviews. In the end, is this not simpler? Subscribe to The Monster Sci-Fi Show. It's sci-fi. From a certain point of view, The Monster Sci-Fi Show is part of the ESO Network. I will not provide a spoiler warning
3: so you're being so hurt. yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> holy cow alright so yeah
1: spoilers for the what is it episode 7 is that where we're up to now yeah, I need to stop trying to say the numbers because I get them wrong every single week <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> episode 7 but the, the discovery uh, episode but to connect
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh-huh. uh, and a lot of things that we've been talking
3: about the last few weeks yep.
1: ca- came to a head in this episode
3: yes. I, I want to say Keith, Uh you have been talking for a couple of weeks now about the the implications of having a an A.I. run this ship. I am so glad that they took an entire episode and let one of their cast members, one of their crew members talk about his uh, and his his worry, you know, his concern about what could possibly go wrong. I thought that was wonderful.
2: He was great. <laughs> he was basically like, "Am oh, worried about a Soviet computer that can that can just open the an airlock and push us out?" So <laughs> he was I, great.
0: Chuck and I were talking about this earlier, but we were really enjoying his entrance. Yes, into yes, that. yes.
1: Because at first you're like, "What is he doing with the music and the hugs?" And then it's like, he, "It can hear
3: us." You you know? Right. <laughs> like it's
1: on this, we've been saying for weeks, this is like a HAL Nine Thousand situation. Like, yes. Like oh, absolutely. A, this is a problem, and I, yes. I love that someone on the ship thought so too.
3: But yeah. I love that they, okay, l- let me back up just a little bit here. Um, in most of the episodes we've had this season, every episode has had three, most of them four storylines going on through the episode. Mm-hmm, right. uh, this one had two. Yeah. And that meant that you got to have a lot more time spent on each one of those things. Mm-hmm. And I really, really appreciate the fact that they didn't kind of gloss over this. Issue that they spent time discussing it and debating it from different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, and it I thought it was wonderful.
0: It didn't feel like an A story and a B story. It felt like two A stories that yes. were shortened. Absolutely,
3: mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. agreed.
2: I, I had in my notes, Alan, uh, based on what you're saying, I had in my notes this was the sing- this was the most competently written and cohesive story in the entire mm-hmm. series. Mm. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's I, it, saying it, something.
2: It,
0: <laughs> the way they came together. Um, yes, in the, yeah, the way they dovetailed
3: at the
1: end. Yes, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. that was amazing. Yes. Yeah.
3: And
1: I've said before, I mean, my favorite kind of Star Trek show is you're on a set with characters just talking. And then mm-hmm. that's, you know, bowling Star Trek down to its essentials is can you mm-hmm. tell a good sci-fi story with just like, like it's a stage play? Like you're oh, in, yeah. a, in a room and that's basically they had two of those going on in this
3: episode. And, and that's not something you get a whole lot of in modern Trek. No, yeah, because yeah, very, the budget true. is so big they can do anything they want and they yeah. do. Right. But they this don't time, ever... this, this time they right. use the
0: budget for awesome aliens and <laughs> that's, that's, a real Ferengi.
3: Well, okay. Yeah. Well, there was a real Ferengi. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was uh, uh, kind of go along with what everybody is saying. I've been, and I, I, don't know, I was telling the guys, I'm, li- I'm listening to, I listen to, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I listen to an old school Star Trek podcast where every week um, the original series is discussed. And without trying, because I don't want to be that person, but without trying, I find myself comparing new track to the old track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I still feel that overall and dramatic ability and maturity and skill, the original series is the best there ever was. And some of that was just how television was written back then. Yeah. But yeah, tonight's show was closer mm-hmm. than any I've ever saw. Because you're right, Veronica, it, it did not feel like A story, B story. And Alan, for the first time in weeks, I don't know how you feel about this, the confessionals and the monologues worked i didn't yes. <laughs> sit there and go oh god they did it again everything because
0: there sense. wasn't a giant crisis where the world was exactly. ending yeah. around. Yeah. Like. yeah they weren't
2: plummeting exactly. into an atmosphere or something <laughs>
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I, Yeah. i love too that i mean you you've got the the sci-fi stories going on in both episodes, yes on both mm-hmm. the storylines right but then you've also got right. the character stories going on in those episodes and in those and those storylines mm-hmm. but then also um, a lot of analogy or um you know, metaphor for modern social issues going on as well. Yes. That I thought was, was mm-hmm. the way they wove Zora in with sort of Gray and Adira's story
2: mm-hmm. yeah. um,
1: about, and Stamets is sort of the older guy who can't bring himself to accept this life form for what she is and what she wants to be, you know, and they're having to sort of drag him along and, and make him understand. And in the story, it's from a sci-fi perspective, but mm-hmm. you know, they, they've tied it in for a few weeks now with Zora and Gray. And I thought that it was was done really well here. And it's a way sort of that he's his attitude was that the young people don't understand. You weren't you weren't there back when we fought control. Mm -hmm. You you don't you don't have the perspective that I have. Whereas they're
3: like, no, you're you're off base, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but he has a point. True. Yes. I mean, you cannot ignore his perspective on that either, because his perspective is based on an actual thing that almost killed everything. Yeah. Right. So, you know, Oh yeah. You can't just, you can't just walk away from that.
1: No, the best debates are, I mean, we're, we're both sides
3: yes. make really good points. Exactly. Yes, exactly.
1: Um,
2: one thing I've said several weeks in a row is I do not like to be that guy who says this is Star Trek. I hate, I don't <laughs> like doing it because Star Trek covers a lot. Well then don't do it. <laughs> 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 but, but, Based on what y'all are saying and Charles, what you're saying, I did say this felt like Star Trek because I I pride myself on being ultra liberal and I'm sitting there, but I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I'm like, I don't know if I get rid of that failsafe device. But then (laughs) if Zora is sentient, it's like if Charles got on my nerve, do I want to have a button that could kill him with a push of a button? That's not fair when I do it with a human being. So should I do it with a computer? Because she's like data. She's fully sentient. But I am still sitting there going. Even if she's a good person, just take a regular human. That'd be like getting a I don't know a five year old and putting them in the military. She's still going to have to grow. She's, <laughs> she still may freak out sometimes. She so, but then you shouldn't have a failsafe if she sent him, right? So what okay. do you do? Just watch her?
3: Okay. My first reaction is, how are you going to trust a failsafe that the thing you're using a failsafe on created? <laughs> I wrote that note, and, and then, and then <laughs> at the end of the failsafe you know plot it's like oh i can't deactivate the fail safe because how yes. why would a fail safe be usable if the person that created it can deactivate it i'm like how can you not deactivate it that didn't make any sense
2: alan you and i would have been the guys that gray and the deer were yelling at because i was still <laughs> in the same way I know people to this day who honestly believe that all the intelligent speakers like the Amazon Echo and the Google Home, they honestly believe that when you mute them and they show that red ring, they're just fooling it. They're still nope. listening to you. And I, <laughs> and I thought the same thing about the failsafe. Like, well, she made the failsafe. So she goes, yeah. here you go. This will kill me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Sure, it will. My thought was, well, can she make a
1: failsafe that just takes away her control of the ship without yes. deleting her? Right. Yes. You know, because right. like a, a crewman, you can relieve of duty
0: in yep. exactly. five quarters yes. exactly.
3: Okay. I right. thought it was a, a bit much that the argument went to the extreme of so what you're saying is you're going to kill her yeah well yeah. I mean yeah. Yeah. true come on it, but, it,
1: it, it, but it's a Star Trek morality play.
3: I, I know it you is, know, I they're, know they're not they're not often subtle <laughs> <laughs> Well that's true but they have a time limit too so they
2: can't work on <laughs> subtlety. True. <laughs> Did anybody else get shades of the motion picture when they were looking at her memory? It was almost like flying through the oh. mind of V'ger. I didn't
1: think that, no. <laughs> no. Yeah,
2: You know, they were Sorry, saying her, her, her memory was basically collections of all the missions and pictures of the crew. And then I thought of Spock and them flying through V'ger because they were literally talking about they were flying through the mind of V'ger. It just put me in mind to something like mm. that because she does have, what, 100,000 years worth of information in her?
3: On yeah, top of yeah. Else. million, billion, who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's a lot. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> they call them her dreams, though. And I ran across a, I thought it was a fun um, theory online that could make Calypso fit nicely. It was what if Calypso was one of Zora's dreams? And then it doesn't have to, the show oh, doesn't have to literally
3: touch back into it. That's a good point. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. No, the thing that I was thinking about was, these are her dreams. Can AI dream? And my first thought was, yeah, of electric sheep yes me too (laughs) my
1: first thought was like well data dreamed okay yeah he was programmed too okay (laughs) right exactly
2: yeah and i hate to be that guy but remember that time when data had the waking dream and he stabbed troy
3: yeah Yeah. that's true so see uh, exactly that's the kind of possibility that we have here and data has an off switch right yeah that's right. right that's also true
2: right yeah interesting but I, I am glad as you said i'm glad they at least started dealing with it. i still think there's a lot to be concerned about with Zora. of, of so course there I, is
3: there
1: is
2: William. of
3: course there is um yeah. before we leave this part and go to the other storyline um i want to talk about uh the ending of well the ending of the adira and gray storyline adira mm-hmm. is sticking around but gray is gone spoiler alert is 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 basically leaving the ship so that's that's tilly and gray gone and and i mean well yeah well we're going to talk about that at at the end when we talk about the second half of the season right but um i'm just talking about in the last couple of weeks Mm. so do we think gray might be moving toward the starfleet academy show that we think tilly is going to be doing
1: I hope so. Because what it seems like huh. is if they don't know what to do with the character, they go off the ship. <laughs> huh. And you know, I, I would love it if that happened. But what but, I mean, right now, Gray's going to trill. Yeah, Yes. To, to yes. train uh,
0: there. Right. Basically retrain because wasn't he already trained and that's why he had a symbiote?
1: Uh he, well, he was to train to be a guardian.
0: Mm. Right. For the guys
1: that take care of the symbiotes mm. and yes. sort of, of okay. Trill legacy. Then, uh, which sounds they... like a boring job gray yeah. you don't yes. want to de- guard
2: the pomp, right yeah the i pool. think gray's
0: gonna <laughs> w- or learn some things be like <laughs> he's, he's a lifeguard
2: <laughs> aren't no. the guardians the one aren't the guardians the one where they have the special guardian who can bring out the the buried trill personalities and put them in other people's bodies for a while like that maybe that, remember that ds9 like, episode yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i don't remember yeah. if that
3: was a guardian or if it
1: wasn't i don't know but, that they had yeah.
2: that
3: word for it but that's probably yeah. the same thing
2: hmm. right I, um now here's the thing we talked about before. I read, I spent 30 solid minutes one night reading about what happened to Mary Weissman. And it's literally every theory on the planet. There was everything from their rotating them in and out because of COVID and all this other kind of stuff. Do we know if both she and the character who plays Gray are literally gone? Or is it just one of those where they're saying they're coming back after a while, but they, we don't know why. I still don't know why Mary, Weiss, Mary Weissman is kind of sort of out for a minute. I yeah. have no clue what's we going on there.
3: We'll just have to find yeah. out. When, it, no, when it, Nobody yeah. does.
2: nope yeah, exactly.
3: Um, until they say, or until yeah. they launch a new show with her as the star, then <laughs> you know we don't know. Um, but I uh, never mind. I was going to say something, but I can't remember what it was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on to the other storyline, then because yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Like I thought this storyline was what you were talking about when you were talking about Keith predicting things because because from the first episode mm. of this season, Keith's been saying that he thinks they're moving towards. A conflict between Burnham and Book.
2: Mm-hmm. And they got there
1: yeah. uh, in this episode. Yeah. So I'm always well, wondering what Keith thought about that.
2: Okay. I I'm disappointed because I well, but you know, at the same time, Star Trek has never really had a stable couple other than well, Keiko and Miles O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um pretty yeah, much well, that's it. true. And I really hate to see Book and Burnham break, uh, have this problem, but I think they'll get back together. It was one where you saw it coming. And part yeah. of me was like, it was kind of obvious, but it also makes sense given yeah. how they wrote it. So I'm going to ride oh, with absolutely. it. And- you know, I'm gonna ride with it and assume they'll find their way back to each other when it's all also- so yeah. so
0: here's my prediction for what's gonna happen with what book went off and did. He's gonna realize the other guy is cuckoo for Coca-Puffs and is going to stop <laughs> him. And he's gonna to go to burn him, and be like, You were right, this guy is crazy. Yes. Um, however, he built this thing and now I can also have this ship that's do, does the spore drive.
1: Yeah, that that's could be. Thought. Yeah, or or yeah. find out when they're You'll find out for sure before they detonate that, oh, yeah, this is going to blow back and destroy their planet. And and like, whoa, you know, like something like that, where he's realized he's gotten into something he shouldn't. But I I agree with what you said, too, Keith, is that I thought Mm -hmm. it felt it grew very naturally out of their characters. Like you feel like those two characters have to do what they're doing based on the rest of the season.
3: Exactly. And I think I think the first part of the prediction comes from this is drama. This mm-hmm. is how drama is built. When right. you when you build a relationship like theirs and then you tear it apart, that is how drama progresses. So, yes, of course they were going to do something yeah. where those two characters have a falling out, but it was a slow burn for the mm-hmm. fallout. <laughs> it- burn. Oh, I'm so clever. Um <laughs> That was unintentional. But, um, <laughs> Good. But it, but it was, it was it, the, the path that they put them on makes so much sense. It, yeah. does. You know, it, it, it was developed very well, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: It wasn't like yeah. shoehorned in there like they do a lot of the no. time that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like right, exactly. all of a sudden they're having this giant conflict for no apparent reason.
3: Right. You, you yeah. completely understand their points of view. You understand their motivations. Mm-hmm. They make absolute sense. Yeah. And in a sense, they're both right. Yeah, that is the absolute beauty of good writing when you can have opposing forces and you present them both as equally valid. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: that was worthy of track writing, because as you say, I thought the same thing. They're both right. And even Veronica, you mentioned what's his face is cuckoo. (laughs) You know, even those little things where you kind of think if some guy you just met. Literally just goes, Oh yeah, I'm from another universe and I want to get back and I want to use the power supply. You probably, even if you disagree you're like, hey Michael, let me tell you something about this dude. He says he's from another universe, but he's not from that universe. He's from another universe. But then I guess you can kind of write that off because Book is basically still traumatized and bent on vengeance because he lost his whole planet.
0: Also, he couldn't have been from the mirror universe because it's too far apart. Well, it's not and- the mirror
1: universe, and he's not from there. I, I,
0: I know, but that's yeah. when, when yeah, Book said he, that. I was like, obviously, he's not. Yeah, but Didn't Tarkus, we just do this?
1: Yeah, but Tarkus said that he's from this universe, but he knows his buddy, who was also a scientist, knew of another universe where there was no uh-huh. war and no burn, and that's uh-huh. where he was trying to go. So that he considers that his home, but uh-huh. originated here in this universe. But yeah, I'm glad uh-huh. they did say it's not the mirror universe.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a different universe. <laughs> um- It's funny because I always in my notes, I always write in when I watch Star Trek, I always write that you should say a mirror universe, not the mirror universe. And that's well, but yeah, but, you know, it's
3: always been presented as the right because especially throughout the only one they've gone to through (laughs) DS9, there was a continuing storyline once each season. They would tell you more about the mirror universe. Yes. Yeah. 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 But yeah, there should be more than just
2: one. One other thing that really felt like great track was uh, was the, the was the diplomatic debate with the federation representatives. That felt mm-hmm. like some things, uh, Al, Alan, some of the things you and I liked about Enterprise, where mm-hmm. you've got this federation and they're and they're having this debate of which way we to go. And I wrote in my notes, and maybe that I missed this. I wrote in my notes exclamation point Earth is not a member of the federation.
1: Mm-mm. No, that
2: was from last year, dude. Yeah, I completely forgot that, and yeah. I you know. I forgot, but you know what? I went back and I looked at my old notes, and I had this note for some reason that I thought that was Earth- a
3: different notebook for every season <laughs> yeah, series that we watch. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I thought for some reason that Earthwood had had entered, or they were going to say Earth was a member, and I thought mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting that they're still not. And not only that, but the ad, the, the general, yeah, she was kind of sort of on the on the shoot first and ask questions yeah. later. Oh side. yeah, oh <laughs> yeah.
3: What's interesting is that Navarre has basically stepped back in before yeah. earth has yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah and, and that, earth is still the outlier yeah and
1: well earth had become very isolationist but they you yes, see they're had. sort of reaching back out yeah. now exactly the, the, the biggest thing that struck me though is that on earth they now dress like space robin hood and <laughs> i love it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny but i was genuinely surprised when they voted and they voted burnham's way I really thought they were going to because Brooke made a great argument. And I did, too. It's always easier to convince a group of scared people to strike rather than try to reason. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So I thought it was going to go the other way where Burnham was going to have to go rogue to try to make contact with the while the Federation was. But no, it was the other way around. And I was proud of the Federation that they did the right thing. Me and too. what's
3: what's so by by a you know a, a short margin yeah um but what I found it really interesting is that and we talked about this before is that in this season we aren't seeing the rogue Burnham you know mm-hmm. yeah. and and they have now cast book in that role yeah yes. mentioned
0: that
3: yeah and yeah. and so she's the one who's okay to put it in a in a negative way towing the line Mm -hmm. and he's the one who is stepping out and taking an unsanctioned action that's true okay and i just want to say also that while i loved this episode um it it was kind of even keel throughout the whole thing i loved the unfolding of the storyline but there wasn't Mm -hmm. any like change in pitch or anything Mm -hmm. and i thought okay well this is a nice episode but i don't see it as a you know, if you're going to have to, I'm because I'm sure there wasn't in, the, the intent of doing a midseason, right. it just seems like it was thrown at us, you know, mm-hmm. a midseason break. So if you had to pick something, you know, this doesn't seem like the strongest one until the end mm-hmm. when book and dude. Uh, uh, crazy dude go off on their rogue thing and I was like oh yes With
2: this, is, this is the catalyst
3: right? for the second half of the season there's mm-hmm. so yes. much drama that's going to be built yeah. out of that moment and I'm ready for it the trailers for what's coming is great oh yeah
0: yes yeah. and uh, what I want to know is why didn't Burnham transport right onto his ship
3: yeah that's what I was wondering too unless there was a I don't know
1: uh, I mean, force I was- filled up and
2: preventing yeah. it I don't know
1: yeah, it could be a force pulled up. It could be that it was already in motion. Yeah,
2: I like that he comes up with the in uh, book goes. That's a spore drive, and he comes up with this really portable thing, and he puts <laughs> it on the counter on the console, and it, it merges into the ship with the programmable <laughs> data. That, that was that was really interesting. One other thing I want to say real quickly back on the council vote is there is a maturity in the series this year that this season I'm really appreciating because. They've also done a really organic thing with the president and Burnham. You just said that Michael, um, you said Michael's kind of toying the line. I love the way the president, when she first met Michael, she pretty much told her, you're not ready to be the captain I need you to be. And now every time she's like, Michael, I need you. And she looks at her and goes, I need you to make, and it's organic. It felt right. And you saw Michael, with this great sadness and regret on her face, when she knew she had to argue against book, yeah. and she was sitting there, and they're like, anybody, anybody, anybody.
0: She's like, oh, please, Steve. Michael, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: she got
3: to. She can't just not say anything. But
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. She exactly. didn't do
1: it
3: gleefully, that's for sure. Yeah, no. no. Um, a real quick aside because I don't want to forget about it and 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 not address this. It's a tiny thing. It doesn't really add up to you know anything in the overall spectrum of this episode, but the really, really sweet little scene of Saru and Tarina.
0: Yes. yes. Oh, oh,
3: they're I love so it. cute. I love they it. are so cute. So, <laughs> so if
0: anyone hasn't watched the Ready Room yet that's listening to this or that's talking to us right now, um, <laughs> then then go watch it because Doug Jones has this little sweet tale of how that got started and it wasn't a planned thing that the writers had.
2: That's
3: even better. Yes. Lately I have to watch this before I go to work. And I don't know when Ready Room drops, but it is not before I go to work. (laughs) It's not the same time that that the episode goes out. So I haven't I don't ever get to see it before we watch our before Mm -hmm. we record our episode. So I don't
2: know. You know, you know, Veronica, things like that are the best. And and spoilers for folks who have not watched Deep Space Nine but the two main love stories in Deep Space Nine were also not planned. Mm. Um, Odo and Kira was not planned, but there was one episode where uh, Renee Auberginois just gives this look when Kira's going off. I forget which one of those guys she was dating. And he gives this little look. It wasn't planned. And then the the, the writers and the producers saw that and they said, hey, maybe we could do something with Odo and Kira. And also Worf and Jadzia was not a planned love story. But it was the episode when Worf first comes onto the station and Jadzia has convinced Kira to go do some like, I don't know, Renfair thing. And they come out in middle-aged clothing and Worf says, nice costume or something like that. That scene is where the writers go, hey, maybe we can do a relationship between Worf and Jadzia. So Mm -hmm. unplanned. And they took advantage. And if that's the way it is with Saru and the other lady, I think that's going to make it in some ways more organic. I love them together. And I never expected that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, I just want to say, of your two examples, one of them worked incredibly well, and the other one was awful.
2: <laughs> which, which is which, Alan?
3: Oh, come on! It, oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> I loved Wharf and Jadzia. They made so much <laughs> sense together, yeah. much more yeah. so than than Worf and Troy. Um, I agree. And that, that's true. Worf and Troy just came out of left field, and you're like, "Whoa, what? The car just swerved." Um, <laughs> right. And yeah. I just thought, I just thought the whole odo and kira thing was just terrible i hate really? it
2: really i liked it, I loved, it and i love like both it.
3: of those characters they're you know yeah. especially kira is probably my favorite ds9 character but Fantastic. i just uh, i just didn't need it. <laughs> especially that one where she turns into a, a rock and oh my god it was awful so dumb. <laughs> anyway again off topic yeah
1: <laughs> it's, it seems like this season's been pretty well received i think we're all yeah. really enjoying it i started a poll yeah. today on our facebook group and the results so far are pretty positive it's just yeah it started really an was. hour or so ago um yeah. Mm-hmm. but yeah if you're listening to this and you're not on our facebook group drop by and vote in the poll i'd like to know what everybody thinks about it because uh discovery has definitely been a divisive show for a lot of reasons yes. as it's gone on but it seems like a lot of people are are like us and either have enjoyed it all along or coming around to it
2: i feel like it's settled down
1: yeah yeah now the rest of the season the the the
2: is pretty interesting. Yeah. Holy cow, yeah. that
3: is a good trailer. Yeah. Let me tell you. That trailer.
2: Yes. And did you notice the trailer showed the other bridge crew seeming like um, they're going to be any action? Yes, okay, first be there. of all,
3: first of all, you know that's the first thing I look for.
2: <laughs> <You're> yeah, right. <laughs> no, it is. So, yes.
3: So there's something where there looks like they're on like a special mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and Detmer is involved in that. They yes. go to like a space station or something where um, uh, Burnham is playing poker for whatever reason and Owo <laughs> is is involved in that and yeah. she gets into some kind of like fight club action which I can't <laughs> wait to see yeah. heck yes ready right. for it I'm but man it. everything about that trailer looks smashing the bit that really it's got really
1: me good. is when Saru was like it's a life form or something and then you see that, ex- that like that last shot of the excited look on Burnham's face and it was just like yeah I want to see it too <laughs> You know, I, I want to
2: know what it is <laughs> Yeah.
3: Yeah, Me too. Yeah, it looks really good.
2: I feel overall the series, at least with this season and definitely this last episode, they, they have definitely they settled in. And I think that some of the highs and lows we talked about where sometimes people are a little bit too emotional and the emotional moments, beats come at, the, at a strange time. And sometimes yeah. they seem a little too focused on special effects. This one just seemed like a really, yeah, uh, just a really well-written and evenly balanced show. And I liked it. Agreed.
0: What, what I'm worried about is now that they've finally kind of settled in. Mm-hmm. I mean, like previously Star Trek running for seven seasons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of sci-fi shows like Stargate and Star Trek and all, all that. But I, I, I'm I'm afraid that they're going to get to like season five and just be like, ah, we're done.
3: <laughs>
2: that might That's be possible. I hope, yeah, I hope not. All so the far, films. there
3: hasn't been an announcement of the season five. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm sure there will be one, but so far there has not been word of it because it's pretty much their flagship show at this point. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know. All right. So Alan, do we have a
1: question of the week this week?
3: Uh, yeah, we do. The question comes from Matt Sweatman, and Matt Sweatman hey, would like to know uh, what we think the funniest moment in Trek is not a funny episode, just a scene or a line of dialogue. What's your favorite funny moment?
0: So I was initially like, "Oh, lower decks. Obviously, there's an episode in there, and I know there's yeah. at least a scene in there where we were laughing so hard we had to pause it to continue laughing, but I can't for the life of me remember what it is." So I'm gonna, <laughs> so I'm gonna go with something um, that was hilarious to me that uh, comes from a show that you would not think is hilarious. Uh, Discovery when Burnham was tripping and <laughs> yes, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and you're one. like oh oh she can do funny she's not just serious Vulcan this is great and yeah. so that's that's my funny scene is that entire section
3: I love that good choice yeah Chuck what do you got
1: my first one when I, when I saw the, the question was going to be I was annoyed because I said it last week on the podcast so <laughs> I had to come up with a, a second choice because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to mention Bailey again um so I've, I've been rewatching the, the sixth season of DS nine this week. And there's a, there's a bit when they're, uh, when Cork was getting the information from Damar, and he comes back and he's drunk trying to tell them, and he's like, it's a, de- it's a defector. And they're like, who could it be? And Rom's like, well, I don't know. I'm the only one who knows anything. And they're like, no, wait, deflector. And they're like, what do you think, Rom? He's like, I'm just glad it
3: wasn't me. Right. <laughs> he me, right? Delivers that line. I do love that so much. Oh my gosh. Keith.
2: Um, As you said, well, it's a scene that is not meant to be a joke, but it's a funny scene. It it, it goes back to the original series episode, The Naked Time. And it's just something. Thank you. It's so stupid. It always gets to me. There's there's a The men, the way men laugh and scream in Star Trek in the old days is is funny. And there's a scene where Yeoman Rand is trying to, uh, Spock is going to the bridge. And there's this weird dude with a can of paint. Who has painted "Love Mankind" like on the wall? And he's just laughing. And he lit. I'm going to try. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> and he just keeps laughing. And as Spock tells him, crewman report, and he actually he bows and keeps laughing. And then there's another scene just like that, where McCoy finds a cure for the, the thing that's making people, he calls the bio lab and the guy on the thing starts laughing with that same crazy laugh. <laughs> and those laughs are so stupid. It's like three stooges level. Every single time I watch that, I just burst out laughing. So <laughs> those are funny scenes for me. I just love those guys laughing.
3: Well, what's yours, Alan? Okay. Mine comes from um, one of my favorite episodes in the entire history of the world, the bride of Chaotica. Mm. So many funny mm. scenes in that. Um, but my favorite moment is when they're on the rocket and the um, the whatever the extra dimensional people are, the, the subspace mm-hmm. people show mm-hmm. up and and the robot goes intruder alert, intruder alert. And, <laughs> and Paris goes Shh, and backhands him in the face and he goes intruder alert <laughs> as he kind of sulks off with <laughs> his feelings hurt. Uh. I just love that.
2: That that hollow fantasy also lends itself to another one. It was the time when they brought Seven on, and you remember when he was coming toward her, mm-hmm. and she goes, "We are Borg," and just this real dry <laughs> delivery. Yeah. that she disarms them. That's a funny one too. <laughs>
3: yeah. So thanks, Matt Sweatman, for yes. a great question. That was a lot of it fun. Was. If anybody yeah. else would like to send us a question of the week for us to answer on the air you can email us at earthstationtrek at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on our facebook page you can send us a message or you can tag us in a post and we will see it so there we go all right well alan where can people find more of you on the internet well i have a little um publishing company called cosmic press k-o-z-m-i-c press.com Find me on Facebook or Twitter or my other podcast, which is Modern Musicology, which can be found on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, all those places. And how about you, Keith?
2: You can find me on Twitter
1: and on the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica?
0: Feltnerdy.com.
1: And do you have a closing for us this week?
0: Okay, so I had one that wasn't really all that funny, um, but then sitting here um, on our shelf of all kinds of random uh, nerdy things i found this star trek next generation classic quotes so this kind of goes along with the question of the week oh cool. so um would you like to talk about what's bothering you or would you like to break some more furniture
2: <laughs> that was troy to Kalar, right
0: uh to to wharf in what episode
2: it was troy to wharf yeah oh, gosh i don't know i was thinking Kalar because she broke a glass table when she showed up
0: well, so the 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 little book says Deanna to Worf in birthright. So, okay, who knows if it's ah, right or not?
1: I'm sure. Oh, so. it's well, right. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. But that's not the first time. Basically, Troy had to talk to a Klingon about breaking furniture. So that's kind of interesting.
0: <laughs> Let's go and, break some furniture.
3: And, and, Veronica, your closing should have been. I'm not going to give you a closing. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper.